Amen. Praise God. All right. Well, turn to our master text in the book of Philippians, if you will. If you're still getting familiar with your Bibles, that's toward the end of your Bibles. It's a little book toward the end of your Bible in the New Testament. So turn there, if you will, and we'll read that, the words of the Apostle Paul. And when you find Philippians chapter 3, would you stand up with me, if you will, and let's honor the reading of the Word of God. And this is the, uh, the Apostle Paul um, kind of rehashing some of his, his pedigree, if you will. Um, so listen to what he says about this. But for whatever was to my profit, verse 7, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpri- surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to take hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Praise God. Well, today, we're going to be talking about mature pruning. In the series so far, we've been talking about God's various ways that he prunes us. And, and uh, our, our first couple of master texts were in John chapter 15, where we explored that concept where God prunes his people. So there's several levels of pruning that we talked about. And today, we're going to get into mature pruning. And in that master text, we just read about a man, the Apostle Paul, who was subjected to exactly that, mature pruning. Or in his case, we could even refer to it as radical pruning. And in the last couple of teachings, if you remember, we talked about what God does when our branches are bearing no fruit because of sin. You remember that teaching? And then we talked about after that what God does when we're bearing some fruit, but there's a whole lot of room for more fruit. And so therefore we talked about what God does to coax our branches to produce even more fruit. Amen. But there's another level of pruning that we're going to talk about today, and that's mature pruning or radical pruning. Now, here's the goal of radical pruning, that you and I will be so surrendered to God that everything in our lives that we deeply love, even some worthy activities and goals, will be let go into God's sovereign keeping. What remains then is one passion and one goal, 
and that's to bear much fruit for God's kingdom. Now, in order to fully understand this next radical level of pruning, uh, let's go back to our study of the principles of vine dressing. So I'm going to be reading now from a uh, uh, horticulture bulletin uh, on this point. So look at the screen. We'll read this together. It says this, the vine's ability to produce growth increases each year, but without intensive pruning, the plant weakens and its crop diminishes. Mature branches must be pruned hard to achieve maximum yields. Now, if you look at this from the plant's point of view, uh, this could be horrifying because there's going to be considerable cutting in store. But if you look at it from the gardener's point of view, the grower's point of view, well, actually, the future has something wonderful in store, and that's tons of grapes, an abundant harvest. So that's the goal. So a key concept for this morning, then, is that while early pruning is mostly about outward and activities and priorities, that's what we talked about in the previous teachings, early pruning, so while early pruning is mostly about outward activities and priorities, mature pruning is about your values and personal identity. Okay? Your values and personal identity. Now, folks, what God asks of you and me at this level may seem very difficult. But if you say yes to the vine dresser, the results will be dramatically more fruit than what you and I could have asked for or imagined. But many Christians, folks, never get to this level. I'm going to say that again. Most Christians never get to this level. In fact, if you're not really committed to getting to that next level of abundance and fruitfulness in your life and allowing yourself to be subjected to that mature pruning... Well, you might as well just check out right now and do your shopping list, okay? Because this teaching isn't for you if you're not committed to getting to that next level of abundance and fruitfulness. See, it, it was at this point, as a matter of fact, that many of Jesus' followers turned back when they figured out what it was going to cost them. But the impact of those that didn't turn back is still shaking the world today. Praise God. Now, mature pruning could be described as a testing of your faith. And that phrase comes from a familiar passage in uh, James chapter 1 that we've re referred to many times. Let's read it again. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith, there it is, develops perseverance. Allow perseverance to finish its work. Now, what, I want to pause right there. What does that mean, allow perseverance to finish its work? That means when you're being tested, don't bail out in the process. When the heat starts to get turned on, don't run away. Allow perseverance to finish its work, okay? Um, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking Anything. That's God's goal for you, that you eventually get to the point where you're not lacking anything. That's his goal for you. You know, the disciples, as a matter of fact, eventually learned to see every trial as a chance to perfect their trust in the Lord 
and uh, therefore multiply their effectiveness for him. I'm going to say that again. Every, every disciple that followed Jesus eventually learned to see every trial as an opportunity to perfect their trust, their faith in the Lord, and therefore multiply their effectiveness for him. Well, what are tests of faith then? Well, let's think of it this way. Look at the screen. Uh, Tests of faith are various trials and circumstances that are opportunities to surrender something of great value to God, even when you have every right not to. Even when you have every right not to. See, you'll feel stretched by these types of circumstances, but not distant from God. Tried by him, but not judged or guilty. And this is what the psalmist was talking about when he wrote these words right here in Psalm 66, verses 10 and 12. For you, O God, have tested us. You refined us like silver, but, here's the good news, you brought us to a place of abundance. That's his goal for you, is to bring you to a place of abundance. Hallelujah. Now, have you come to realize, by the way, that a test of faith doesn't really test anything until it pushes you past your previous test, past what you have proven in a previous test? Have you noticed that? That's why pruning lasts longer and goes further than what we think is reasonable. <laughs> and that's why you pull, if you pull back when you feel like that you've reached your limit, you'll never grow. And you'll never know how much you can really trust God. Now, let me qualify something. Not every painful experience that you have is a result of pruning. If you have a health issue that you're dealing with, or you have a son or a daughter that's not acting right and it's breaking your heart, well, God didn't cause those things in order to prune you. But every trial you face is an opportunity to let God work in your life toward abundance. Okay? If you invite him into even those difficult circumstances, he'll keep this promise right here. From Romans 8.28, you know it. And we know that God works all things, not some things, all things together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Let me read that again. And we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. Praise God. What a promise. What a promise. Hang on to that. And... Likewise, I want to give you this key concept right here as well. So therefore, even when God didn't cause the circumstances in your life, he will nevertheless use it as an opportunity for growth and pruning. See, God is an opportunist. Even when Satan comes in to try to kill, steal, and destroy, he will turn it around and use it as an opportunity for your personal growth if you let him. If you let him. And some people would say, well, of course I would let God use those negative circumstances in my life as an opportunity for growth. Ah, not so fast. Because some people, when they start to feel the heat of the pruning, will turn and run the other way and not let it happen. I've seen it over and over and over in ministry. 
See, that's why we need to stay close to God's side during that process so that we don't miss those opportunities for growth. You agree with that? I like this anonymous quote right here. The vine dresser is never nearer the vine than when he is pruning it. <laughs> the vine dresser is never nearer the vine than when he is pruning it. Praise God. So what are some of God's methods for pruning his people? We'll talk about some methods of pruning right now. Well, what are some ways that God prunes his people? Well, how about enduring unfair treatment? You think that may be a method of pruning? So let me give you an example of, of this. So for example, how do you respond to leaders who God has put you under who suddenly become harsh or unreasonable? Just think about that. How, how do you respond to leaders that God has put you under who suddenly become harsh or unreasonable or they misunderstand you or are even angry with you? I've had that happen in previous ministries where pastors have been angry with me for things that they misunderstood. Um, in fact, I'm just going to give you an example right now. So I was in a ministry many, many years ago when I was on the worship team in that ministry and something happened with the sound system. I don't remember what it was. And, and so um, I said something to the sound engineer to say, well, maybe I, you know, maybe until we get this worked out, maybe the guitar really isn't something that should be in the mix right now. Something like that. I don't remember what, remember what it was. That was a long time ago. And so I mentioned that to him, and then he mentioned it to the pastor. And I don't know if something was lost in communication, but the pastor was not happy with me, and he let me know about it in no uncertain terms. And it, it was, kind of took me aback. It's like, wow. I mean, that's a really extreme response for this situation. But so you know, you know what I did? I didn't try to defend myself. I didn't try to tell him a thing or two. I said, I am really sorry that I made you feel that way. How can I prevent from doing that in the future? That was my response. Now, listen, I thought he was wrong in the way he handled that situation. But I humbled myself before him. I didn't try to defend myself. I just said, I'm really sorry I made you feel that way. What, how can I prevent making you feel that way in the future? Now, not a lot of people would respond that way because they have their rights. He shouldn't have talked to me like that. So how, how are you going to respond to leaders who suddenly become harsh or unreasonable with you or they misunderstand you or are angry with you for some reason? And let me give you another one. Um, how about when none of those things are happening, but you just suddenly begin to disagree strongly with your leader? What if that happens? Well, let me let you in a little insight. God may have actually maneuvered some of that to see how you respond. That's the truth. I'm going to give you some biblical evidence of that. Okay? God actually may have maneuvered some of that to see how you respond. Are you going to humble yourself? Or are you going to exercise your right to tell him a thing or two? Or just take your ball and go home? Um, how about when, you, um, when you're entrusted with a leadership position overseeing other people and you faithfully carry out that job and then the people that you're overseeing 
suddenly turn on you for no reason and begin to talk about you behind your back like you're the spawn of Satan or something. What are you going to do in those situations? And that's actually a situation the Apostle Paul and the early apostles had to deal with as well. Let me give you some examples of that. And before I get to that, I want to read you this quote right here. Because I thought, uh, this, you know, if it wasn't for these really great memes that I see on Facebook from time to time, I would just probably check out on Facebook. Probably, and the only re- reason I don't is because it's an opportunity for me to share uh, my faith on Facebook. And I see that I come across these great memes all the time. And this one really pertains to our message today. I like this. It says, do not claim you want to grow and then run away the minute you feel growing pains. That is so true. That is so true. I've seen so many people do that. This escapist mentality. I don't want to ever experience anything uncomfortable. And when I do, I'm just going to check out and find the next place. And then they run into difficult circumstances in the next place, and they check out again, and then just church hop, or job hop, or spouse hop. Because we have this concept in our culture, oh, I don't want to ever deal with anything hard. I don't ever want to have my, my, my character developed through hardship. I'll just check out and go find something easier. And I know people that have been through four and five marriages that way. They've been to 15 different churches you know, in, in 15 to 20 years. They just keep the, making these lateral moves. They, instead of growing in their career, they make these lateral moves in their career and they never grow because they get bored or mad at their place of employment and then they check out and it's this escapist mentality that I don't ever want to have to deal with something hard. If I agree, disagree with something or, or some, somebody rubs me the wrong way, I'm out of here. And they stay infants emotionally and spiritually. Does that make sense? Well, getting back to my previous example of when you're overseeing someone and the people that you're overseeing suddenly turn on you and start talking about you behind your back like you're the spawn of Satan or something. Well, that's something the Apostle Paul actually had to deal with and the first century apostles. So let me read to you what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Check this out. For it seems to me that God has displayed us apostles at the end of the procession like prisoners appointed for death. We have become a spectacle to the whole world, to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ. And then he starts to get a little sarcastic right here. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are so strong. We are honored, you are honored, but we are dishonored. To this very hour, we are hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed and we are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are vilified, here it is, when we are vilified, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer gently. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. Now, I want to tell you something. A lot of pastors have experienced that same thing. A lot of pastors, especially in this culture, where um, the clergy is not as respected as clergy was 50 years ago, where people were, they were embarrassed to even utter a profanity around a clergy. Not anymore. Not anymore. I'm telling you, a lot of, 
lot of clergy, including myself, have experienced this very thing where we feel like we are scum of the earth, the refuse of the world to be trampled on by God's people. And, uh, and yeah, we definitely identify with the Apostle Paul. And where the Apostle Paul is concerned, by the way, you know, he endured trials of many kinds, didn't he? As a matter of fact, he endured the ultimate trial by being ultimately executed for his faith. But consider the incredible size of Paul's harvest. It's impossible to even measure, isn't it? I mean, Paul's branch is still bearing fruit today. Praise God. See, folks, if if you and I want to enter a time of abundant fruitfulness, then you and I are going to have to learn to endure unfair treatment at times graciously. I'm going to say that again. If you and I want to enter a time of abundant growth, abundant fruitfulness, then you and I are going to have to learn to endure unfair treatment graciously. And, you know, I find that personally to be one of the hardest tests of faith ever, at least for me, because I'm a person that highly values justice. The injustice of this situation, for, the, for, me the, for them to talk about me that way when it's not true, that's an injustice, okay? So that's one of the hardest tests of faith for me personally ever because I do value justice so highly. But if we're ever going to bear much fruit, folks, then at times we're going to have to let God prune off some of that pride that always makes us have to justify ourselves all the time. That's pride. Now, I'm not saying there's never a time to justify yourself. Paul did on certain situations. But that's just that, that energy that always makes you to ha- have to, to justify yourself and to slam dunk the other person. That's, that's a pride issue. And God wants to prune that off so you can learn to grow. Okay? Now, listen, I'm not saying, by the way, that we should never stand up for something um, or, or anything. As a matter of fact, I think that we as followers of Christ uh, will sometimes have to take a bold stand on certain issues, but it's at that, those times when we do stand up for certain issues uh, and we get ridiculed or persecuted as a result, that's our opportunity to uh, learn patience and endurance and um, you know, how to... Uh, Endure those things graciously. Amen. Um, Praise God. You know, God's always after us growing in humility and patience and endurance. Praise God. I want to give you an example of that from the scriptures. In 1 Peter 2.23, it says, this is of Jesus that's speaking of, when they heaped abuse on him, he did not retaliate. Hmm. When he suffered, he made no threats but entrusted himself to him, God the Father, who judges justly. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, let me give you another example from the scriptures of what I'm talking about right now, about enduring unjust treatment as the pruning of the Lord. In 1 Samuel 25, there's a story of how God used unjust treatment in David's life to prepare him for a remarkable future. 
Now, at this time in his life, uh, he had already been anointed Israel's next king. But for years after that, God seemed to abandon him. This national hero and giant killer was reduced to hiding out in caves, trying to escape the murderous King Saul. And one day, as he and his men were traveling about, and they were out of food and hungry, he instructed his men to uh, go respectfully ask for food from a, a nearby estate owner by the name of Nabal. Now, if you've read that account, you probably remember that the scriptures describe Nabal as wicked and arrogant. You remember this? So, when that request came, he thundered, Who is this David? And refused to give him any food. Now, that humiliating rejection was a blow to David's sorest spot, his pride. Not to mention his sense of fairness and also his sense of identity. Well, that enraged David. So he set out with his fighting men to go annihilate Nabal and his entire household. That was their, that was their goal that they set out on. But Nabal's wife, Abigail, here's what happens, and she sets out to intercept David with a caravan of supplies and food that she brings with her. But Abigail's most important gift, I believe, was a reminder to David that his real identity and security was in God's hands. Was in God's hands. In essence, Abigail pleads with David to see past his pain. To see past his pain. And rather than to take matters into his own hands, to pass this test of his faith. Well, David sees her wisdom and turns back. Well, that crisis, coupled with his terrible years in the wilderness, was part of the, the pruning and preparation season necessary to prepare David for his future as Israel's greatest king. See, he learned in those years how to submit to authority, even wicked authority. I want to emphasize that. He learned to submit even to wicked authority. I could, man, I could elaborate on that one for a while, but I don't have time for that. He submitted to wicked authority. How to lead men with wisdom. How to trust God, even when being treated unjustly. And how to endure hardship. But there's another side of this that I want you to see. You see, if we respond to unfair treatment graciously, God gets involved. And he knows how to judge righteously. Praise God. Well, I want to give you the, the rest of the story of Nabal and David. And so we pick it up in 1 Samuel 25, verses 36 through 38. Let's read together. When Abigail arrived home, she found that Nabal was throwing a big party and was celebrating like a king. He was very drunk, so she didn't tell him anything about her meeting with David until dawn the next day. In the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him what happened. As a result, he had a stroke and he laid paralyzed on his bed like a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck him and he died. It continues. 
Well, actually, this is a, another passage related to this. So uh, I want to give you uh, this because it's related. Psalm 37, verses 8 through 11 says this. Refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. For evildoers will be destroyed, but those who put their trust in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for him, he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity. Praise God. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Now, folks, this was a wow moment for me when I reread this the other day. Um, because it put me in remembrance of an episode that happened with one of my former neighbors who I will call Jake. That wasn't his real name. But Jake could be a very charming man when he wanted to be, but he could also be a monster at times. There was a time when he verbally attacked me and my family in a broadcast email that went out to our entire neighborhood. And that wasn't a mistake. He did that on purpose to try to smear our reputation. So all of our neighbors were witness to the terrible and untrue things that he was saying about us and, and about me in particular. And this went on for actually a couple of weeks with several emails. One email wasn't enough for him. He did this several times. Now, we didn't suffer any backlash from any of our other neighbors, but it was a very painful experience to have our good name smeared like that among all of our neighbors. It was so bad that it made Donna cry, and it made us actually consider moving out of the neighborhood. That's how bad it was. Well, we dealt with it graciously and didn't retaliate uh, in any way, but we simply responded very gently and graciously with the, the few responses that we did make to Jake privately. We didn't, you know, we didn't reply all. We just dealt with it privately with him. Well, a few months after that, you know, Donna and I had been praying for Jake and his poor wife, because <laughs> uh, I think she was very embarrassed by this whole thing. Um, and once I reached out to him several months later after this whole thing had died down, and I told him that I was praying for the, him and I loved him. Well, I guess it was a year or so after that that we heard that uh, Jake had moved out uh, of his house and he and his wife were divorcing. And then after that, his ex-wife sold the house and moved out of the neighborhood, so they were out of our lives. But that's not the end of the story. Recently, we learned that Jake had passed away very suddenly. So it kind of jolted me when I read verse 10 of this passage that I just read to you, and I remembered what happened to Jake. So let's read verse 10 over again. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for him, he will not be there. Now, I don't know if Jake's demise was God's doing or not, but... That verse does kind of make me wonder, right? He messed with the Lord's children, and we responded in kind, and now, unfortunately, he's no more. So my point in sharing that story with you, ladies and gentlemen, is that God knows how to fight your battles. Yeah, go ahead. God knows how to fight your battles. And once again, I... I don't know if God 
was the one that took Jake out. I'm not saying one way or the other. He, he could have, but I mean, I don't know. Uh, I don't know any details about what happened. Uh, but as far as our reputation in our neighborhood is concerned, that's intact and actually even strengthened because people got to witness how we responded to unfair treatment. So that was, I think, a, a testimony to the Lord. And you too, folks, let's put it back in your lap for a moment. You too will have opportunities to be tested like that. And how you handle it will determine your level of reward. Praise the Lord. So, when we start to come down home stretch here. Tell me where it hurts in your life. Where does it hurt in your life today? Maybe it's in the area of learning to submit to someone that you don't want to submit to. You know, it says in Ephesians 5.21 to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Maybe not for reverence for that other person, but reverence for Christ. Or maybe the pruning process that's going on in your life right now is learning to endure unjust treatment graciously as the pruning of the Lord. And when God's pruning you, he's always setting you up for something better. He's always setting you up for some growth, something better. Maybe it's learning, well, this is a tough one, maybe it's learning to endure the unjust treatment of your children. That's a tough one. You know, you can mess with me. Don't you dare mess with my children. I can take all kinds of hits. You start messing with my children. You may see a different side of me. But, okay, but you know what? What if those things enter our life to test our own metal and to teach our children how to endure unjust treatment graciously? Because they're going to learn from how you respond. You enjoyed that point, didn't you? Because you're like me. You don't want your kids messed with. Right? But what if those situations come into our lives to teach our children how to respond graciously and we respond graciously too? I mean, I'm just going to admit, you know, people mess with my kids. I want to forget that I'm a Christian for a little while and ask forgiveness later. But no, God's wanting to help you grow, okay? God's wanting to help you grow. So wherever your pain is right now, look for the vine dresser's shears at work shaping and directing you for a season of abundance, folks. Shaping and directing you for a season of abundance that you may not recognize right now, but is indeed coming if you respond appropriately and you don't give up. Did you get that? I'm going to say that again one more time because you've got to get this. I'm almost done here, so I want you to get this one final point or close to final point. If you feel like that God's giving you the shears right now, whatever the pruning process of may be going on in your life right now, look for the vine dresser's shears at work, shaping and directing you for a season of abundance. That's what he's after. 
that you may not be able to recognize right now while you're going through the pruning process, but is indeed coming if you respond appropriately and you don't give up. And when a test of like that comes into your life and you fail and you blow it, I, I think I said this in a previous teaching, guess what? You don't ultimately fail. God doesn't put an F on your paper. He puts an R on your paper for redo. You get to redo it over and over and over and over and over again until you pass it. And that's why we see 60-year-old Christians in the church that are still in second grade spiritually. Because they haven't learned anything yet. Because they lash out every time something happens that makes them mad or a pruning process that they respond to violently or just in a way that's not godly and it's like, okay, well, you didn't learn it that time, so another test is coming and it won't be when you're expecting it. So you have to be on your toes all the time. Praise the Lord. I'm gonna give you a closing quote from Catherine Kuhlman. Catherine Kuhlman was a, a, a woman that, man, in, in her ministry back in what was it, the 70s, man, she operated in signs and wonders. I mean, unbelievable signs and wonders. I, I Heard a story one time where she came out on stage and just, she was listening to the Lord. She was a person that really listened to the Lord. And, and God made it very apparent in her ministry that it's not about you, it's about me. God made that very apparent. And one of the instances that happened in her ministry, she came out on stage and she just like stood there silently for three or four minutes, didn't say a word. And the, so the first, you know, few moments of that were a little bit, little bit awkward. It's like, what is she doing? And then all of a sudden, you started hearing a commotion because the people that were in the wheelchairs began to get up out of them. She didn't say a word. She didn't lay hands on anybody. She just listened to the Lord and the Lord in that, I mean, listen, you can't cookie cutter this stuff. In that instance, God said, in this instance, I don't want you to say a word. Watch me move. didn't lay one hand on anybody, didn't speak a, a thing, and God, God the, 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 the presence of God just began to come in that building. People began to jump out of, out of wheel, the pandemonium, and she hadn't say, said a word. Well, I want to tell you a, a little bit about Catherine Kuhlman. The Lord didn't really begin to use her mightily like that until she was approaching 70 years of age. And she asked the Lord one time because travel had gotten very difficult for her at that time in her life because she was weaker, didn't have as much energy as she used to when she was younger. She asked the Lord one time, Lord, why did you wait until I'm an old woman before using me to this level? And the Lord responded to her and said, because had I given you this level of power in your ministry when you were younger, it would have destroyed you because you weren't ready for it. She was too prideful. The Lord had to get to a, place, to a place where she was completely surrendered to the Lord, completely humble before the Lord, before he could use her in that higher realm. All right? So um, for those of you that don't know about Catherine Coleman, um, I wanted to give you that little bit of backdrop before I read this closing uh, quote to you from her. And she said this, When you can get to a place of full surrender... When you have no will of your own, then you will know God's perfect will, not his permissive will. Folks, there's a lot of you right now that are living in God's permissive will, but not his perfect will. Don't you want to get to the place where you 
get to his perfect will, not just his permissive will. If you go on your rebellious way, God will honor your choice. And that will be his permissive will for you. But you won't walk in the, the upper level of God's blessings and his favor and his power. That's why you see all kinds of Christians limping along and they never get to that place of abundant fruitfulness because they will not allow God to prune them to the level that we've been talking about today that we saw with the Apostle Paul where that radical pruning is concerned, that, that mature pruning is concerned. They never allow that because when it gets uncomfortable, they run the other way. And I've seen that over and over in this church where, where people start growing, man, they are producing, they're really growing in the Lord exponentially and then the devil gets them in their crosshairs, in his crosshairs, because he knows they're growing. And God will not permit, uh, the devil will not permit exponential growth in your life to go unchallenged. Now you're in his crosshairs. So he'll, he'll bring some, some challenges, some disappointments, some frustrations in your life that God allows it because he's going to turn it around to use it for your, your pruning. And if you run away every time things get hard or every time you disagree with somebody or every time there's something's not done exactly like, the, like you want it done, well, it's your opportunity to be pruned. Pruning is never comfortable. And let me say this one last thing and then we're going to pray. Uh, look, sometimes if you're paying attention, God will show you some things that he will give you the opportunity to prune. He'll give you the, he won't do it. I mean, he will eventually if you don't. But he'll give you the opportunity to prune it out of your life. I'll just give you one example. You know, I try to be really judicious about what I watch on TV and how much TV I watch. And I'm not like, I don't watch hours and hours of TV per week. And certainly I'm very judicious about what I watch. But the Lord has been dealing with me lately. Um, Why don't you take some of that time that, you're entertaining yourself and spend more time in my presence. Instead of just doing your morning, and I, I spend quite a bit of time, like I spend, my morning devotions is two hours. And so, you know, sometimes I congratulate myself on that by saying, hey man, I've got two hours in already. You, you know how human nature is, right? But God's always wanting to stretch you and grow you beyond where you are right now. And God has just said to me recently, why don't you take some of that TV time that you're using to entertain yourself, even with good stuff, and spend time in my presence instead? So that's my mandate for this year. God has allowed me the opportunity to make the decision to prune out some of the excessive TV that I was watching. And when I say excessive, I'm not talking about just like hours and hours. Just, you know, evening time for an hour. Why don't I take that time? I mean, not do, I'm not doing anything else. I'm sitting on the couch vegging. And that's okay for you to entertain yourself a little bit as long as it's not completely out of balance. But the, for me, I'm not saying this is a mandate for you. I'm saying for me, this is what God is dealing with me right now because I'm a leader. The Lord is saying, well, I, I want to take you to a new level. But I'm going to require something from you first. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to do the pruning. So that's an example right there of how God will give you the choice of doing your own pruning. And then if you don't respond, he'll do it for you. Because he loves you. 
He's trying to prune away things that are impeding your progress and will, are preventing you growing more exponentially. Am I making sense this morning? Yes. Praise God. Stand with, pray with me, please. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Let's pray together. Close your eyes with me for just a moment and just bow your heads and let's just have a time with the Lord for a moment. Oh, Father God, we just thank you so much that you're so gracious to us and loving to us that, that uh, you bring these things to our attention that we may have never even thought about before. I think many of us have read John chapter 15 about that pruning process of the vine dresser and never really saw it in this kind of light. But Lord, we thank you that you're so faithful to us. You love us so much that you won't allow us to continue on like we are, just bumping along like we are without giving us the opportunity for greater growth, greater pruning, and therefore greater abundance. So Lord, we want to respond to you today. I just ask you, Lord, to point out the things that you may want to prune out of our lives to encourage even greater abundance and greater growth in our lives. Lord, the last couple of teachings we've talked about how you do the pruning and you make the decision sometimes what to prune out of our lives. But Lord, you also give us the opportunity to do the pruning ourselves by showing us things that may be impeding our progress to even greater levels of abundance and fruitfulness for your kingdom and allowing us to make the decision for ourselves. And Father, I pray that you would speak to each and every person here. Allow us, Lord, to respond to your invitation to join you in that pruning process. Lord, I think that you're speaking to some people right now. Just pointing out some things. My son, my daughter, I love you so much that I want you to grow. And there's this thing or things in your life that is hindering your growth in me. It's hindering a deeper relationship and fellowship with me. And folks, if you've been asking the Lord to show you more of himself, to have a deeper relationship with him, if you're asking him for more fruitfulness in your life, then as I said in a previous teaching, you're asking for the shears. But the vine dresser is faithful. He never asks you to, to prune something yourself or he doesn't ever do the pruning himself without the goal in mind of having you grow in greater and greater ways. So Lord, thank you for your faithfulness in that regard. Thank you for the fact that you do this pruning sometimes at risk of us misunderstanding you and accusing you of not loving us and not caring for us. But Lord, we're reminded this morning that your eye is always upon us. Your eye roams to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are perfect toward him. So Lord, help our hearts to be inclined to you, Lord. Help us not to misunderstand the process when you're pruning, but help us to respond to it, Lord, and to lean in even harder during those, those times when it's uncomfortable. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you for those that you're speaking to very deeply and profoundly this morning. Thank you, Lord. All right, I'm just kind of up here listening to the Holy Spirit, and I want to do something this morning that we don't always do. In fact, very rarely do we do it. But you heard me preach a few weeks ago that sometimes God requires a physical response in order to release a greater realm of his blessing and anointing in your life. And there's something that churches and past generations used to practice. And we in our so-called supposed enlightenment have not practiced this. But there's something about, I believe, a physical response of just gathering around the altar of God as the people of God and just pouring out our hearts and saying, Lord, even if it's uncomfortable for time, I'm ready to lay it all down at your feet and allow you to prune me and allow you to grow me and cause me to flourish with the abundance that you've you have in mind for me to, to grow in. I'm just going to ask, again, this may be a bit, a bit out of the comfort zone of some of you because we hardly ever do this here. But I just want to invite you, if the Lord is speaking to you this morning, I'd just like to invite you to maybe just gather around the altar and maybe just in a posture of humility, just come and say, Lord, I'm coming because I belong to you. I'm coming because my life doesn't belong to me. I was bought at a price. my life is yours and I'm laying it down I just just have a, a few minutes of private time with the Lord just pouring your heart out to him repenting of anything that you need to repent of and as an expression of humility just pouring out your heart to him and saying Lord I am all yours I'm all yours thank you Lord praise you father Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Oh, thank you.